What's up, Internet? Hope you're all doing well today, as always. It's a beautiful, sunny day, which isn't my preference, unfortunately. I'd rather it was cold. But that's neither here nor there. Welcome back to episode three of Let's Talk Fantasy. Uh, Steam Glorious Steam, because I spent more time trying to think of a title than probably researching content, and it shows. Um, yeah, news for the week, because I've always got a bit of news for no reason, because I'm not really that relevant, is that... One of my favourite authors, J.S. Morin, you can find him on Audible, he recently released a uh, new book in his Black Ocean series. Uh, it is called Low Flyer. It's mission two of a new smaller series he started doing, which is a prequel to the Galaxy Outlaw series, which is an absolutely cracking series of audiobooks, and I strongly recommend everyone who's ever enjoyed science fiction in the theme of Firefly, really recommend you all listen to it. Having said that, Here's some intro music. Oh, well, shit. Wasn't that a nice change of pace? Uh, yeah, I thought... I'm really pan- I really like steampunky sort of stuff. That's what the episode's about, obviously. It's going to be steampunk. thought I'd get some, some thematic intro music for this one. Going forward, it's going to be back to the uh, same track that I've been using, but I just thought I'd make a nice little... I'd shake it up this week. So, steampunk. It is a great many things. It is defined in a great many ways. It is kind of science fiction, kind of fantasy, and even within steampunk itself, you've got different subgenres of it, but we're going to get into that. First, as always, put the kettle on, make yourself a beverage, sit down, relax, and... Relax. I can't think. We well, can't try to relax. But yeah. So, where do you really start with the steampunk genre? It's quite old now. It's going. It's over a hundred years old. The actual idea of the genre. I think it's a hundred and fifty-one years old now. The original sort of progenitor of the idea is widely said to be um, Jules Verne, who wrote Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, a book which I have not read because I'm, I'm not a big old literature kind of guy so I'm going to be focusing more on the sort of more modern interpretations of it and where it's sort of come from and where it's gone so some examples would be um, probably the best example I can give just in terms of a thematic and aesthetic nature would be something along the lines of the uh, popular video game Frostpunk I mean it's in the name the word punk another one would be if you were going to talk a movie a movie for instance would be say if you ever seen Wild Wild West, the old Will Smith movie, that's very steampunky with the giant uh, steam-powered spider and stuff. You've got things like uh, Disenchantment, where there's actually a, a steam land that's opposite the Dreamland uh, on Netflix. You've got The Legend of Korra, which is another TV show. And even again, I'm going to mention J.S. Moran again because I've recently just been re-listening to some of his work. Uh, his Twinborn Chronicles, the second series of them, he's done two series of that books, uh, War, War of Free Worlds, it's very, very steampunk in style and aesthetic, <clears throat> but it's not necessarily 100% steampunk because it's powered by magic, which makes it a nice, interesting divergence from the norm. But there are incountable myriad of examples that could be given in video game, in comics, in films, TV, uh, if you're into it, anime and manga. Uh, if you're into anime, Fullmetal Alchemist Brotherhood or Howl's Moving Castle, really good examples of steampunk portrayed in different ways, even within the same 
culture, I'd say, because they're both sort of a manga and anime style thing. Uh, they're still very different. Obviously, Studio Ghibli produced House Moving Castle and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of variation even within similar subgenres of steampunk, which is why I gravitate towards it. Because although a layman might I do like the word layman. A layman might think, oh, it's just you know cogs turning and steam pumping out everywhere. It's still extraordinarily diverse in its own in its own right in its own way. So. I've mentioned a lot of Netflix series because I watch a lot of Netflix. If you've watched Love, Death and Robots, which is... I, I like that show. There's actually an episode called Good Hunting where quite a lot of steampunk style is portrayed, especially in the second half of the episode as technology progresses and it goes from sort of a fantastical thing to a very steampunkish thing and it kind of shows that contrast between magic and, and technology. And one of the characters actually quotes uh, I'm not going to directly quote it because I haven't watched it for a little while he basically says that the creation of Automata is almost like bringing magic back into the world beyond sort of your more generally popular media you know like video and video games there is popular and relatively famous pieces of artwork that also display this for instance the um, Albert Robida picture um, I think it was from 1902, if my note taking is at all accurate, which it's probably not. Where, don't know the name of the painting, he did a painting or a print, I don't know the difference, of skyships flying around in Paris. And it was very steampunky, and it just sort of goes to show it's a lot older than most people think it is. The idea of it is, it's essentially as long as people have had the idea of an automated system, the idea of steampunk has been there. And obviously, in the real world, steam is not a, a, a hugely powerful um, source of energy. There's actually a tank, an early model tank that was invented. Um, I don't know when or what it's called, unfortunately, but I watched it on a channel called Lindy Beige where he talks about tanks of history. And the idea of this tank was it was essentially a tractor that was powered by a um, by a steam motor of some sort with a big water tank on the back and it would pressurise it and it would go. And it moved, which is incredible, but it just would in no way be practical. Obviously in the real world we have other means of creating and harvesting fuel that are, you know, just quite frankly better. A good example would actually be, I'm going to use Frostpunk because we had the trailer for the sequel down recently, which I am incredibly fucking excited for where the tagline I think was something like you know cold is dead now it's oil which is essentially what happened in the real world we stopped using coal so much because we figured out oh, we just pump dead dinosaurs out of the earth so I'm really interested to see where that goes with it um, personally but that's also one of the main things that powers normal steam technology. And when I say normal, I'm going to use that term a lot. I mean your traditional steampunk without going into magic being involved or some weird resource like a dishonored whale oil, which I'll touch on later. So if I refer to it as normal, it's normally just pure coal fueling a furnace to make steam. So normally it's coal in most, if not the, yeah, in most. I'm not going to delete that because sometimes I stutter and you'll see that it happens quite a lot sometimes. I don't know why, my brain just stops being able to function for a minute. 
But if I was to give a, um, a description to someone who's not necessarily familiar with steampunk, maybe, you know, it's just never been on your radar, maybe you heard about it recently and you've just somehow managed to find your way here, for those of you, um, I'd say, you know, imagine yourself in a large foundry sort of complex, you know, you've got men shoveling coal into large furnaces with water tanks sitting above them with copper piping going everywhere because it's always copper, bronze or brass coloured a lot of the time. As the pipes go on people are pulling different valves and levers and various machines are moving about their tasks in rhythm. Every now and then you hear a shout of alarm, a valve is turned and the highly pressured steam is ejected elsewhere. A man might come towards you with a telescopic monocle sort of thing, the kind of thing a jeweller would have but you'd see he has one normal arm and one arm that looks almost like a robot part, but you can see all the cogs moving inside it. And then you'd look up and see huge cogs turning away, powered by steam, pistons pumping away at their task, dynamos doing whatever it is a dynamo does. And that is kind of the image that a lot of steampunk brings to mind, is the foundry, but outside of that, you know, You'd have people maybe in zeppelins, in skyships of some sort, flying through the air. Motorised vehicles that might have a strange aesthetic to them, ploughing along, bellowing steam out behind them as their propulsion. Normally, you know, prevailing a lot of steampunk is the image of a Victorian era London. Uh, I don't know why, I haven't been able to find that, I'm going to have to look more into that another day. But it's one of the biggest aesthetics is the idea of a Victorian London, like a kind of a dirty, grotty kind of city. A lot of the fashion in many steampunk examples is actually that Victorian era sort of, or late Victorian era sort of, you know, industrial revolution, you know, men in either dirty work gear or suits, women in really, really fancy dresses that just look horrifically impractical would be the normal sights in a steampunk-esque world. You know, if it was a bit more fantastical and a bit more older, I call it older, I call it older steampunk, where, you know, you've got people with, like, hats that have bells and whistles and mechanical clocks inside them. And if you were to want to get the idea of the sound of it, though, there's actually a band I quite enjoy listening to called The Cog Is Dead, and their whole thing is steampunk-style music, so... It's almost like accordions and fiddles and violins and, you know, it's really good music actually. I'd strongly recommend anyone who listens to this, go check out The Cog Is Dead. I, I think they're really talented and I really enjoy some of their music. But that's kind of a brief description of what some steampunk would look like, the very traditional kind. To go not so traditional, you would have examples like the popular Bioshock games, which Although it's not all steam-powered, it's still an aesthetic inspired by it. Um, although 1 and 2, this is prevalent as well. Bioshock Infinite is probably the best and biggest example of it in that series. So if you haven't played Bioshock Infinite, just look at some images of it and it will give you an idea. You know, they've got things like mechanised robots with giant guns, but they run on clockwork gears, which is a huge theme in it. Things working on clockwork. So, obviously, the internal mechanism of a clock is a series of cogs that move in time. And that's a big part of the aesthetic and logical functionality of it, because although steampunk is very fantastical, 
most of the time it hides beneath a veneer of actual science. Not science that, you know, is possible, but it's logic. How to explain it? It's possible, but not practical. You could, in fact, power a car with steam, in theory. But steampunk normally takes it a step further and says, fuck your theory, we're doing it, it makes a kind of sense, and we're going to roll with it. So again, it bridges that gap between pure fantasy and pure science. Although it's generally classified as science fiction, I do disagree, because to me, science fiction is things that could work. Uh, and be, like, you know, practical, and be better. Even though not all science fiction is futuristic, but I view steampunk as, like I say, the bridge between the two. So, yeah, that's my view on it, at least. If you want to disagree, you know, I'll, I'll give you the email address at the end. You're welcome to email in and call me an idiot. I mean, won't hurt me none. But I just remembered, I glanced at my notes, and went, ah, oh, fuck. Because I rather got sidetracked, I didn't mention one of the reasons I made this uh, this podcast is because I was listening to a story from a friend who plays Deadlands, the popular tabletop game. I say popular, you know, it might be popular, I don't know anything about it. I did a bit of reading, obviously, just in preparation for this, but I've never played it. That also has steampunk elements in it, but they've got some kind of... But that also, and again, it blends seamlessly with magic in the same world, following the same rules. So, although it's steampunk powered, it has magic to, to assist and supplement, which is very common, especially in the older Final Fantasy games. So, the best example I could give would be Final Fantasy V, which I think is where the idea of Magitek armor got introduced, and that horrible, horrible boss fight against the fire on the boat. But Final Fantasy is different, because although there's steampunk elements to it, like Figaro Castle, this big castle that can sh not shrink, but sort of pack itself up and sink to the sands in a desert, and there is a whole town of... There's a couple towns that look very steampunky, actually, and one of them is powered by the fire crystal, which is magic. Again, we see this example of steampunk and magic coalescing together. Uh, another good example would be, if you've ever seen... The movie I like that the world hated, A League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I liked that film, by the way. I was a, I was younger when I saw it, and I enjoyed it. A lot of those tales, again, have inspirations from it. Obviously, all of the members of the League come from classic literature. So you've got the Nautilus, um, the big submar yeah, submarine ship, comes from uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. We see that in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, like the actual image of it, because it's a film, and that is also very steampunk inspired, as are a lot of Captain Nemo's uh, devices and inventions um, that are present in the film and in his classic novels. So now I'm going to talk about things that are normally running themes in different steampunk things. So a good example of that would be the idea of uh, airships probably most famously made in Final Fantasy at this point because every Final Fantasy game from I think one onwards maybe even one has one I don't remember uh, you get an airship of some sort which you know is powered in some incredible fashion there's sometimes an engine room that works for some reason now when I say the Final Fantasy series I don't mean for essentially I'm skipping 
7 onwards. And I just realised I meant Final Fantasy 6 and 5 earlier when I was talking about uh, Final Fantasy. I should have said 6 and 5. I just said 5. So, I'm sorry about that. But I correct. I, I did it. I corrected myself. My me, me memory's not failed yet. So, I forgot what I was about to say. But then I listened back to what I was saying about a minute and a half ago. Airships. So, they're not just present in Final Fantasy. They're just a good example that a lot of people will know. You know, airships and aircraft. So, I'm going to give the other example. Bioshock Infinite. It's got big airships. It's got airships that look like boats that just fly around. It's great. I love it. And that's a big theme in it, is the ability to travel by air. I think a lot of that is because, you know, when a lot of this genre was coming about and people were having these fantastical ideas about flying, commercial air travel wasn't a thing yet. Remember, a lot of this goes back beyond a hundred years, a lot of these ideas and inspirations. So it's not so far-fetched to think they didn't know how aircraft actually worked yet. I mean, obviously we had real-life Zeppelins that were just horrifically impractical and full of flammable gases, probably. I'm not a Zeppelin-ear, I don't know the title. But another good one would be the sort of automata, the robots. So, I think they're awesome. I love automata. A good one that I think is really cool to look at would be uh, Dishonored 2. Where there's those, uh, I can't remember what they're called, they're the robots you see right at the start of the game with like swords for arms. And I've actually done something similar with a homebrew world for um, D&D Pathfinder I'm currently working on for my friends. Uh, I like the idea of you've got this cold, unthinking, unfeeling machine that to all intents and purposes for like the other technology at the time is basically unstoppable by comparison to like a man with a sword and I really like that idea of this relentless foe, a bit like the Terminator even though that's a bit, you know, a bit, bit far in the future compared to what I'm actually talking about so they're really cool another example I could give probably again Bioshock Infinite it's got robots with uh, clockwork mechanisms which is always fun uh, a good one would actually be uh, the Dwema Ruins in Elder Scrolls Skyrim. Yes, yeah, Skyrim, not Oblivion. I haven't played Skyrim for a couple of years now. But those are, in its purest sense, an absolute steampunk aesthetic. If you ever wanted an example of a good steampunk aesthetic, I can't believe I'm going to praise Bethesda on this. It would be the Dream of Ruins with these, you know, these robots. Some of them roll out you as a ball and unfold. Some of them are these big steam-powered goliaths with large hammers. Or just like a little spider that bites at your ankles. So that's a really good example. Now, I know they've got some kind of soul gem or something powering them. But they look like they're steam-powered. And everything in there looks like it's steam-powered. And that's why it works. Because it... It makes it work within the world it's set. It still abides by the rules it's been set by the law, but incorporates that aesthetic in a really clever and interesting way. Another good one would be um, the idea of prosthetics. Obviously, in real life, we have real prosthetics that, you know, it's great that they uh, we've invented those. In the steampunk genre, they're also present, but... A lot of them are weirdly automatous, like just for being strapped on an arm, they've got a lot of full manoeuvrability of digits and stuff. Uh, for you people that are about my age out there, Treasure Planet, you, you know who I'm thinking. 
geezer with the, uh, what's his name? John, Long John Silver. Geezer with a fake arm that has all his chef implements on it and a cannon at one point. Good chef. So, that's, uh, that's quite a cool thing to me, is the idea that, you know, you've got this steam-powered mechanical, you can see all the insides ticking away and working. And that's quite a forward image you see in a lot of sort of steampunk technology, you know, like physical enhancements being used, almost like a kind of rudimentary cyborg, like a cyborg a thousand years before cyborgs, cyborgs became a thing. And I think that might be one of the main inspirations behind the idea of a man who's half man, half machine. I believe it came from the steampunk genre because it's been there for so fucking long that I don't really see a way that it can't be from that. However, I don't know guys, I'm just a twat in a shed. Another good point to touch on, obviously any of you who are into fantasy, which being that you're on a channel called Let's Talk Fantasy, I'm assuming you are. Obviously, you know, the main mode of transportation for heroes in epic stories and things of that nature, D&D games, video games, is normally horse, horse-drawn carriage, or some kind of fantastical creature, you know, griffins, dragons, this, that, and the other. Whereas with steampunk, it's more automatised, it's more motor vehicles, or a similar thing to a motor vehicle, but more stylized. So, I'll give you an example from um, Disenchanted which I didn't think I'd do, where there's a woman riding around essentially on a robot horse that is steampunky, but there's also people in what appear to be cars, because again, within the rules of steampunk, it makes sense that steam can power a car, and you know, they normally have some kind of wacky design that you look at and, mm, no, that wouldn't work, but it's all fun, isn't it, guys? Like, I have a rule with my D&D groups that any DMs out there are welcome to disagree with. Where if they ask too many questions about how something works, I like to just go, I don't know, it's fucking magic. Shut up. <laughs> because it's the ability to suspend disbelief and be able to immerse yourself in a world that doesn't make sense, which is why a lot of us out in the world love this genre and love fantasy and steampunk and sci-fi because it doesn't always need to make sense. Now, that's different to bad world building. I'm gonna go on a little tangent here because I feel like I need to now that I've gotten onto something. Good world building doesn't always need to make real sense, but it does need to have a set of rules that the world abides by. So, an example would be I'm going to say the Avatar universe, because that's a very, very popular TV show, especially among my generation, who watched it when we were a bit younger. And some of us more recently. There is very clearly defined limits as to what the people who essentially use magic can do. And there is very clear defined limits in the Legend of Korra as to what their technology is capable of. That's good world building that could never exist in the real world. Bad world building is where it doesn't make sense within its own world. It doesn't matter if it makes sense in the real world, because it could do for all I care, but if it does not make sense within the rules that the author, writer, uh, artist, whatever you are, creative person whom I probably would respect in person, if your world has clearly set rules and the things around and involved in it don't 
abide by those rules, to me, that's bad world building. But I'm not an author. I'm not going to sit here and shit on anyone specific. Because I've read hundreds of books. I've read bad world building. I've read bad stories. I'm not going to give examples because I think that's just a dick move. Unless I was doing like a specific review, which I'm not. But tangent aside, that's just my view. But to get back to the actual main topic, yeah, automobiles, they're a thing within steampunk. As, you know, we probably established however long ago I went on this tangent. And that's kind of a brief summary of some of the things you'd expect to see. Obviously, there's more to it. Different stories, different modes of transportation, different kinds of everything imaginable. So... I'm going to talk a bit more in depth about some of the examples I've given today. So, of one that is very traditional steampunk, I'm going to say Frostpunk. It's probably in my top 10 games I've played on PC. So, the idea of Frostpunk is it's this global ice age and humanity has fled north to survive and set new sites to essentially rebuild. Now these are facilitated by what they call the generators, huge towering machines powered by coal, and they essentially just produce heat. But along with that, they produce energy in the form of their steam. Now, it's not explicitly stated, you kind of have to look for it for this information. Apparently, and this is why in the game, those of you that played it, everything's going to be connected by roads, is under the road, there is piping which is providing the, the energy the steam energy to the different buildings that are connected to the generator that's uber traditional and again it's kind of good world building because they set the rules for it very early that coal makes this much heat yeah it's possible you upgrade it you make it better and better things will happen traditional you know rts survival game so yeah and uh, <laughs> I lost track of my train of thought for a second there, looking at a butterfly. But there's also things like the steam cores, which are this extremely powerful technology that can power things much better than any other source they have, which predominantly in the game is coal. So no one knows how they're made, because the guy who created them allegedly died in a plane crash with the schematics. They've kind of got what they've got. I think they imply that one of the cities, Tesla City, figured out how to make them, which is, you know, quite an achievement. But this technology, it's called a steam core, and it powers, for instance, huge hulking automatons. Now, when I say they're huge, they stand, they walk over houses. Uh, they walk over everything other than the largest of buildings, and they are fueled by steam power. If you've played the game, they actually hover over... Uh, the, well, they stand next to the generator, hover over a, um, another building, a steam hub, and they recharge themselves from this steam power. Which is why it's such a classic example of steampunk in the modern age. It's not an old game by any means, it's only a few years old, I believe. And that's kind of what I've been trying to get at. It's also their appearance, their large sort of spider-like robots that move in a kind of erratic way. And their aesthetic itself matches perfectly to what they were trying to go for, which is something I have respect for, and I really enjoy the art style of that game, and I just enjoy the art style in general of steampunkery. 
If you feel like I'm repeating myself, by the way, guys, it's because it's literally because I get a little bit distracted. I'm sat in my garden in a shed, so something will walk past me and I'll be like, oh, there's a butterfly there. Nice. My only critique of it would be, I think they could have gone a bit, a bit harder on the world building and the lore setting, but that's just me. Like, some people kind of like not knowing a huge amount. I like to know everything. So, it's not really a critique so much as a preference. Another good example uh, of recent video game years would be Dishonored. Now, again, those of you that know Dishonored know that it's not necessarily steam-powered. Nothing is. Nothing is steam-powered. But it's powered by whale oil. This is what I was meaning when I said earlier. Steam doesn't necessarily always have to be the mode of energy uh, generation. Because there's no steam power in Dishonored. But the game is hugely within that aesthetic from the strange things like the main protagonist Corvo whatever his last name is his mask is very steampunk looking the sort of Victorian era like Londonish city of Dunwall you know I could see that being a bit like London uh, very very steampunk style some of the contraptions the tall boys I think they're called these large sort of I kind of want to say mech suits because in essence that's what they are uh, where people tower like, sort of 20 feet into the air with automatic firing, exploding arrow crossbows. Or Dishonored 2. Uh, again, very, very steampunk inspired, but it moves away from, for a bit of the game, it moves away from that sort of London-esque essence and sort of, it reminds me more of, I would say, an Italian or Southern French style architecture. But that's powered by wind, I believe. So again, it's not powered by steam, but it has the aesthetic, which is almost more important than steam being involved. Now, within those two worlds, there's also magic in the form of the outsider, a god of some sort. I never played the third one. going to get around to it eventually, so I don't know the full story there. So it's again this blend, magic and steampunk, magic and steampunk. It comes back time and time and time again because it fucking works because it's, it pleases the fantasy fans that there's magic, it pleases the steampunk fans because of the aesthetic. So it, it just hits all of the right notes for me. Uh, I also really like cell shaded games, I think they're very nice to look at, so there's that too. Um, another really good example, I'm gonna move away from video games for a minute, and I'm gonna move to uh, television. So a good example would, as I've said already, a good example would be The Legend of Korra. Now, obviously that's the sequel series to Avatar The Last Airbender, where it was very, very fantasy and very sort of uh, Chinese or Japanese mythology based, not mythology, but style, you know? You know, you got that impression from it with like, you know, the sort of Buddhist style monks and things like that. Now, The Legend of Korra introduces sort of cars, airships, planes, battleships at one point, giant robots. Now, you're probably thinking that all sounds a bit ludicrous for steampunk with giant robots, but it maintains the aesthetic, and although it's not the focal point, it's there. It's kind of the secondary point. So, it, it's almost like a metaphor for technology being the death of magic, which comes up a lot in different steampunk stories, that it was originally a magical world, but with the coming of technology, magic died. Again, if you watch love death and robots that's a big theme within good hunting is 
magic leaving the world because of you know the roads of iron that trains travel on and the smoke they bellow into the sky and it kills magic and that's a very very common theme in a lot of different medias within the genre this idea that as technology progresses the magic goes away and it's almost you may or may not follow me on this line of thought because this is off the cuff it's almost like a metaphor for the actual progression of technology in the real world. Obviously, thousands of years ago, people believed in fantastical things. The ancient Greeks had their gods and oracles. The Vikings had rituals they believed would give them you know, inhuman powers. There's folk legends of incredible people performing incredible, impossible feats. Because they believed at the time that was possible. But as technology and knowledge progresses, we stop believing in these things. I'm not saying magic was ever real, by the way. <laughs> I'm not that way inclined. But it's almost like a lot of these stories are that metaphor of magic was once relevant and technology killed it. It's, it's killed... The, the science and knowledge has killed belief in magic. Obviously, religion is still a thing. I have nothing against people of faith. I don't. Um, personally but if you want to believe that miracles can happen feel free but the knowledge we have in the modern age kind of counterintuits the idea of you know wonderful fantastical things happening obviously there's exceptions to every rule in the world but you know so that's how I view it that a lot of these stories are that metaphor like the more we know the more wonder kind of dies and it's a little bit sad, in a way, but that's human evolution for you, really. So, I, was I talking about Legend of Korra? I was. So yeah, that's a good example of that. So is uh, Good Hunting. If I was going to move on to a book, I'm going to mention one of my favourite authors, J.S. Morin, Audible, Twinborn Chronicles. The first series of the Twinborn Chronicles is in my top five things I've ever read slash listened to. It's absolutely incredible. War of Three Worlds, mm, it was all right. Now, that also maintains a steampunk aesthetic in that there's sort of like, you know, these weirdly powered tanks and there's this steam technology that allows them to rip wormholes into different universes. But again, it's not powered by steam, it's powered by magic. And that's something we've seen more and more of in the last sort of 30, 40 years is this amalgamation of magic making steampunk technology possible. Again, I'm going to quote the Final Fantasy and just talk a little bit about that, where Final Fantasy VII, you can see it takes a little bit of inspiration from the idea, but everything's powered by Marco energy, which is basically magic. You could almost call it a Marco punk. If I was to give it a name, I'd give all of these, you know... Uh, sort of sub-genres that are more aesthetic styled in Steam. I'd probably say like Magipunk, something along those lines. I'm not a that kind of person who can create names off the cuff like that, but I think that's what people call it. And it's just one more step of evolution within the genre. And yeah, so things like Final Fantasy, crystals making magic which makes technology happen, uh, Final Fantasy XII as well with the idea of Balfour, the Sky Pirates. Sky piracy is hugely relevant in a lot of steampunk stories. 
because again, it's fantastical. We have pirates at sea, we don't have pirates in the sky. So, it's that idea, and it's just great. Like, I'm not like running out of things to say, I just get a bit stuck, and I'm like, I just fucking love it. And I don't know how many times I can convey that. But like with Final Fantasy as well, I've given some examples, like the Magitek armor. Again, powered by magic, looks like steampunk. So, obviously the traditional steampunk stuff still exists. The idea of Steam doing fantastical things. I mean, we still see it in various medias, but it's evolved beyond that idea now. And I know some people aren't happy about that, but it's just the evolution of storytelling and world building. Like, I, like I say, I do a homebrew for my friends for Pathfinder, and I've got essentially a city in it which is all steampunky, but it's not, it's, it's like that, it's powered by steam. And the power source is actually black powder, you know, like gunpowder. So I also draw inspiration from that when I'm creating. But if I was someone who was new or just sort of getting into that idea of steampunk, if I was going to make any recommendation to you, uh, hum a noble viewer who I love dearly, go check out Dishonored and Frostpunk. In terms of aesthetics, you'll get everything you need out of it. If you want to get a bit more in depth, there's books you can find, like again, the Twinborn Chronicles are a good example. Uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, if you're into like more sort of literature, which, again, I read a lot, but I'm, I'm, that's just not me. But it's one of them, it's hard to jump straight in both feet first, because there's so much to it. There's so many different interpretations and cultures that have taken it. So, I've obviously mentioned manga with things like Howl's Moving Castle and Fullmetal Alchemist. I mean, steampunk has been in Japan, I believe, since the 1940s. I'm going to fact check that, but when it's Asian, I hate using a broad term, it's known as silkpunk. It's a completely different style and thing, but it's still influenced. Then you've got obviously Magipunk, which is magical steampunk. Then you have traditional steampunk. Then you have the Wild West kind of steampunk, like Deadlands or the Wild West movie. So, if you were looking to get into that kind of thing, you know, social media is a thing. Get on some groups on Facebook or Twitter or whatever you're on. You know, and just talk to people, you know, make some, make some friends. And I don't really have a lot else to say. Because we're nearing sort of the point where I normally go, right, this is dragging on a bit. I kind of don't like going over 40 minutes, but it's looking like we're probably going to. So, we'll end the steampunk segment there. I'm just going to say, if you want to get in touch about anything, I do mean anything, if you have any D&D stories you want to share, if you have anything you want to say about the show, the channel, or just if you want to say hello, you know, the email is letstalkfantasy93 at gmail.com. Um, and yeah, feel free to get in touch. Uh, also, on a side note, I am ordering some sound padding for my shed, so hopefully, I say hopefully, within the next couple of weeks the audio quality will be able to improve a bit. After that it's not going to get much better until I can afford to buy a microphone, so this is kind of going to be it for the minute, but it'll get there. Have faith, have faith in me, listener, because that's, believe in the me that believes in you. That makes no sense, but... I'm going to jump into a D&D &D story now, so I hope you'll enjoy it. 
these are just like short little stories that I've had. Like, if you want to send a long story, if you want to send something in, feel free. Send it a longer story if you want. You know, it can be funny, it can be sad. I, you know, I'll read whatever. So, the scene is set in the Planescape in the city of Vigil with a high-level D&D party back in 2nd edition. Upon entering the city and navigating their way around and finding safe haven, a group of adventurers go down an alleyway because they rolled badly on their encounter check. And within the alleyway was an ancient black dragon whose name we never knew. Now he decided he was hungry. How he fit in an alleyway is beyond me, but Planescape and Sigil are weird places where you know the rules don't apply. We have an epic encounter with it. It's a f- fucking bitch. Halfway through the fight, we realise we're sort of getting towards being on the ropes here, and it's not going our way, unfortunately. So our cleric casts mass cure wounds. Oh no, mass heal, that was it. He was a very high level group. And he brings the whole party to full health. And we're like, yes, he's reset the encounter on our side. We've got this. At which point the dragon's wounds are all healed, because the DM explains it's an AoE. Now we home house rule a lot of stuff and home for a lot of stuff, so take it with a pinch of salt. At which point it swallows our paladin whole. And we are devastated. I'm playing a monk and I'm like, I can't fuck. I'm not the DPS here anymore. However, we see something poking through the dragon's neck, as our paladin has used his greatsword to pierce a hole in the beast's throat. As it swallows, he cuts its entire neck open on the way down, killing it in one fell blow unfortunately losing his life in the process. The party mourns, and our friend rolls a paladin (laughs) as his new character. So, what can we learn from this? Read your spells. Please, 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 please read your spells. But, that's all we've got today, guys. Uh, I really appreciate you all listening to this and sort of putting up with my tangents and my bit of a weird uh, personality and sense of humour but you know what, it's just good fun in it because you know, I don't be one of those guys who just sits there and reads off a script and reads you a list of information because it's just not it's not me I'm more, as I have notes I have a whole page of notes in front of me but I'm more you know, off the cuff I like to just make things up as I go along while I glance at my notes now and then so, hope you're all well out there have a good week, also I'm going to be trying to upload a shorter one of these every week now so there'll be sort of like a 40 to 40 minute to an hour long episode a week and I'm going to try and squeeze out like a mini 20 minute one so next week we're probably going to talk a bit about vampires because we're getting close to that terrifying time of year so we're going to have a bit of a theme coming October so take care everyone bye bye